Our first scripture lesson comes from Psalm 19. Sorry, let me flip over to it. Listen now and hear the word of the Lord. The heavens are telling the glory of God, and the firmament proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night declares knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Yet their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In the heavens he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom from his wedding canopy. And like a strong man runs its course with joy, it is rising, its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. And nothing is hid from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is clear, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honey home. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. But who can detect their errors? Clear me from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from the insolent. Do not let them have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Our scripture lesson continues tonight in the book of James. And I want to take a moment before we read the passage just to make a note about the book of James. It's in the New Testament, and it's written in the form of a letter. And James is written sometime towards the end of the first century, a lot of scholars think. And so this letter is being written to a community of Christians that are pretty new to this thing called Christianity. In fact, I don't think they would be calling themselves Christians. They're this group of people who are followers of this man named Christ, who they believe was God in flesh, who they believe walked the earth, who they believe died and was resurrected. So they're trying to figure out still, early in this, this age of the faith, they're trying to figure out what does it mean to be a follower of Christ. And so our author of James writes to this community, and he writes to them about practical things. He's trying to instruct them in what it means to be a follower of Christ. And in the book of James, we read things about wisdom. We read things about following the law, the law of the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments of Moses. We read things about works. And our passage tonight is about a fourth thing, about the tongue, about how we use our words as this group of followers of this man named Christ. So listen now for a word from the Lord from the book of James, chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For all of us make many mistakes. Anyone who makes no mistakes is speak in speaking is perfect, able to keep the whole body in check with a bridle. 
If we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we guide their whole bodies. Or look at ships. Though they are so large that it takes strong winds to drive them, yet they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great exploits. How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. The tongue is placed among our members as a world of iniquity. It stains the whole body, sets on fire the cycle of nature, and is itself set on fire by hell. For every species of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by the human species, but no one can tame the tongue, a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless the Lord and Father, and with it we curse those who are made in the likeness of God." From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and brackish water? Can a fig tree, my brothers and sisters, yield olives or grapevine figs? No more can salt water yield fresh. Friends, this is the word of the Lord for the people of God. My first real taste of the power of words, the power of the tongue, came in middle school. And it didn't come from the source that one might imagine the power of words coming in middle school. It didn't come from a bully in the hallway, or it didn't come from my older brother who would, you know, casually pass by me and give me an elbow into the lockers. It didn't come even from my teachers admonishing me in my seat for some misdeed. I learned the power of words, the power of the tongue, from my mother. You see, there was this special gifted education class that rising sixth graders were placed into out of elementary school. Sixth grade began middle school for me. But I wasn't placed into this class out of elementary school. But I found out towards the end of my sixth grade year that all hope was not lost. I found out that your teachers could recommend you at the end of your sixth grade year to begin in the gifted class in your seventh grade year. Or alternatively, your parents could call the school and petition for you to be placed in this class. And several of my friends had been placed in the class at the end of the sixth grade year, and I thought to myself, geez, this this sounds good. I think I would like to be in this gifted class. And if I'm being honest with you, the reason I really want to be in it, there was a reputation word on the street in the halls was that you actually did nothing in the gifted education class. There were, there were couches in there. The teacher let you play on the record player. I mean, you really didn't do much was my perception at least. But that sounded good to me in the sixth grade. So I went home one afternoon and I went to my mom and I said, mom, I explained about this class. And I said, I really want to be in this class. And She looked at me and she said, well, Alan, why? And I had remembered that at my old school in the first grade, I was in a gifted class. I got pulled out of class every day with some other students, some of my friends, and we went down to this other classroom and we did these special projects and we got to present them to our class. And I thought I was pretty special. And I I said, Mom, you know, I was in the gifted class in the first grade. Why can't I be in in the seventh grade? And her eyes kind of softened, and she looked at me, and she said, Alan, that was a remedial learning class. (laughs) Right then and there, the power of words hit me. And I know it's funny now, but in that moment, 
in my sixth grade self, I was distraught. In that single sentence, I came to realize myself in a whole new way. I realized in that moment that I was not going to be the next Einstein. I realized in that moment that for the rest of my life, education and learning wasn't something that I was necessarily gifted at. It was something I had to work for. It was not something that was going to be naturally come to me. The power of those words changed the whole way I thought about myself. I think the fact that I still remember the story crystal clear is testament to that. The power of those words changed my reality. Now, my guess is that in one way or another, all of us here in this room are familiar with the power of words. There's a lot of political races going on right now, and if you watch the news, no doubt you've come across a story about some poor politician somewhere who said the wrong word at the wrong time in front of the wrong camera and ended up in hot water. I know that sometimes when I'm in conversations with close friends or my spouse, it's this otherwise innocuous conversation. We're just going along, having a nice talk. And then all of a sudden, one misplaced word or phrase sets the conversation on a totally different direction. Has anyone experienced this before? And 20 minutes down the road, you both stop and you think, you're like, how did we get to this? We were talking about like the Falcons. I mean, how do we arrive at this point? But it's that one word or that one phrase can change an entire conversation. And then also, the hard reality is that for many of us, it's the absence of words, the things that have gone unspoken, that have the most power in our lives. Those wounds that haven't healed because the person we need to speak up has not said what we need to hear for that healing to happen. Words are powerful. They have the power to change our lives. They have the power to change us. They have the power to change and shape our faith. Our first lesson in how words shape our faith, for me at least, can be found in Scripture. I think of the words in Scripture as being God speaking power into our world through those words in the Bible. I think of words like the ones at the beginning of John. In the beginning was the Word. I think of words like the ones at the beginning of Genesis, where God hovers over the vast darkness and creation is born. I think of words like those in Job, where out of the turmoil of our lives, out of the disasters happening around us, God speaks out of the whirlwind. I think of the words in Luke, where from the cross, Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. These words are not empty. The words of Scripture have power and meaning for us today. They tell us a history of God's activity in the world. And they serve as a testament of the living God who is still at work in our world. That passage in John continues, the word became flesh. The words of Scripture create the story of our faith. They are the origin of how we understand God. They fundamentally remind us that our very existence is a blessing from God. Amen? And it is that word that forms the crux of our passage today. That word, blessing. Did you hear it in there? 
James names the problem of words that continues to plague our world today. He says, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. James is asking us to answer the question, when we speak as broken people, as people trying to be faithful followers of Christ, when we speak as those people, do we use our words to bless or do we use our words to curse? I had an incredible opportunity this past week. On Monday, I was part of a group, and we were visiting different ministries around Atlanta. And I met this Episcopal priest, and her name is Mary Wetzel. And Mary is the vicar, the the pastor of Church of the Common Ground. And Church of the Common Ground is not a church like many of us might be familiar with. It is not a brick-and-mortar church, but it is a church, believe me. I saw it with my own eyes. Church of the Common Ground meets in a parking lot, No matter the weather, hot, cold, rainy, sunny, they meet in a parking lot in the shadow of the state capitol, right down by the Garnett Marta Station. And Mary's congregation are primarily, not exclusively, but primarily homeless men and women, people who missed their last rent payment, people who struggle with addiction, with substance abuse or mental illness, people who do not have a home, whose homes are under the overpasses or on park benches. And this is Mary's church, and it is beautiful. As a side note, if you ever want to see someone walking the talk, as you might say, someone who is literally embodying the words and the conviction of Jesus Christ that we read about in Scripture, it's Mary. As she cleans feet and as the sweat comes down her face, like I saw on Monday. A remarkable person, a remarkable church. But there's one particular story that I want to share with you that Mary told our group. A few uh, months back, she was leaving church one afternoon, and she was walking up Garnett Street. And if you've ever been down on Garnett Street, it's right up the street from the Atlanta City Jail. And there's lots of bail bonds uh, outfits, and there's lots of abandoned storefronts there. And she was walking up the sidewalk there, and she looked ahead, and she saw three young men. And they were coming towards her. And she said, I just sensed that this was not a good situation. And as she went to pass him, sure enough, these three young men cornered her in an alcove on the sidewalk. Three of them, and they formed a half circle around her, and they kind of looked at her for a little bit. An Episcopal priest wear a clerical collar. So she said, "I I didn't know what to do. So I slowly just pointed at my collar. And the man in the middle of the group, who seemed to be the ringleader, said to her, what? Are you one of those people who have a special relationship with God or something? And Mary thought about it for a second and she said, Well, I like to think so. But I also like to think that my relationship with God is no more special than yours. That we are all children of God. And by this point, she said that the two other men who are with the ringleader kind of sensed that this wasn't a good situation for them. So they started to try and pull the middle guy away. They were trying to move on down the sidewalk to sort of end the encounter. But the guy in the middle wouldn't leave. He kept looking at Mary. And he asked Mary, will you bless me? In Episcopal tradition, they do a lot of anointing with oil. And Mary had a vial of anointing oil in her pocket. She slowly pulled it out. She put some oil on her thumb, 
She reached out to the man and on his forehead said, I bless you in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. And as she drew her hand back, she said, will you bless me? And the man raised his hand and he said, I bless you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And they pulled him away and they went on down the sidewalk. Friends, the story of Mary and the stranger's blessing reminds us that words have power, that our words have the power to bless. But if we're being honest, I think if we're really being honest, we have to, to admit, to come clean, that we use our words more often than not to curse. We curse when we, when we gossip. We curse when we talk down to someone or when we reply to someone in a demeaning manner. And the ease with which we curse reminds us that the taming of the tongue, this thing that James is describing in the passage, is not an easy task. And so that made me wonder, you know, you're right. When I think about myself, I, I curse more than I bless, I think. And so if the taming of the tongue is so hard, the question becomes, do we simply remain silent? Do we not say anything at all? James uses all this great imagery in this text. You heard the one about the large boat and the rudder. And there's this other one that I love, that if a small fire is set, it can create a great blaze. And so if our cursing is a small fire, and if it has the potential to set a great forest ablaze, if no one can tame the tongue, like James says, then should we simply not speak at all? The answer is no. Taken as a whole, James urges us not to refrain from using our tongue, from using our words, out of fear that we will curse, out of the reality that as sinful, broken people, we curse. James rather demands us that we try to control our words, that we realize that God has given us this precious gift as teachers, each of us as teachers, that we are called to consider our words carefully and to use them to bless. Some of you might be asking, I'm not familiar with blessing from the tradition I come from, from the Presbyterian tradition. Bless is not a word that I hear too much other than bless this food. So what does a blessing look like? If we're so familiar with cursing, what's the alternative? I think that we bless when we remember each other in prayer. I think that we bless right here tonight when we join together as a community for worship and song. I think we bless when we welcome a new face into the community. And James is urging us to think about how we're using our words. And he's not trying to deny the fact that it's difficult because, again, let's be honest, blessing is not an easy task. We are built, we are Uh, ingrained with these these prejudices. We judge people by the way they look. We judge people by the situations that they come from. And blessing someone that we have never met or that we are judging by outward appearance can be hard. But it is truly a blessing when you are able to look at someone, whether they look like you or not, and to see them how God already sees them. 
which is as a child of God. And I think the hardest, the hardest blessing that we can possibly have is to bless someone that we don't care much for. To bless someone that we really cannot stand. That's the farthest thing from our mind. I read a quote by uh, writer Madeline LaIngle, and she's read this book, uh, Through the Looking Glass, and in that the white queen likes to sit and think of six impossible things every day before breakfast. And Madeline LaIngle turns that a little bit, and she sets forth a challenge. At breakfast each day, she tries to think or to bless six people who she doesn't care much for. I think that that is a blessing, and I think that there is power in those words, because it isn't always easy work. But the promise that we receive in those words of Scripture, the promise that we receive in the person of Jesus Christ, who himself blessed wherever he went. Our passage last week talked about Jesus healing the deaf man. That's a blessing when we reach out and we touch someone. The lesson that we learn is that no matter how small our blessing is, no matter how small that rudder, how small that fire of blessing is, when it's offered in thanksgiving to God for what God has done in our lives, in our midst, our blessings have the power to transform the worlds around us. Our blessings have the power to usher in the kingdom of God on earth. Now, if you've turned on the TV this past week, in particular, there have been images coming in, especially from the Middle East, of violence, of turmoil. If you opened the AJC this morning, there were multiple stories about the latest murder or crime in our city. If you spent any time in this last week or in the past weeks thinking inward about the turmoil, about the struggles that exist within your own heart, I think you know that this world is in desperate need of blessing. Before our group left on Monday, before we left Mary's Church of the Common Ground, she, she shared with us, almost as an afterthought, how a few weeks after her encounter with these three young men on the sidewalk, uh, she was taking a group of her congregation to McDonald's for a Bible study, and they were walking in the door. And as she walked in, sure enough, who's walking out? of the McDonald's, the man who she blessed. And they saw each other, and they stopped in the doorway, and the man looked at her and said, do you remember who I am? She said, I sure do. You are a blessed man. Friends, a single blessing can transform a life. It is something I think so many of us have seen. In those instances when we reached out out of some unexplainable impulse, reached out in kindness, reached out in peace, reached out in blessing to someone we know or perhaps someone we didn't know. It transforms lives when we use our words to bless. And I think Mary's ministry, Mary's walking the talk right now. They had worship this morning and she'll be back out in that parking lot tomorrow. I think Mary's ministry and the ministry of this church all the ministries of this church and churches all around this city and the world, they remind us that this work of blessing starts now. It's not something that is off in the distance future. Our world needs blessing right here, right now. 
the time to walk the talk is today. So my prayer is that we choose not to be silent, that we use our words and go forth as teachers with God's blessing, the blessing of our very existence, the blessing of our faith, and that with that blessing, we go forth and do the same, that we bless others. Amen.